0: here at the San Francisco Main Library. And that is Dennis Paoletti. If you walk into the library, there's a five-story atrium. He's an acoustic designer. And it also is very hard and reflective with all of the plaster, concrete, reflective materials. Companies hire him to make their buildings and boardrooms and cathedrals
1: and public spaces sound better. If you're a longtime podcast listener... You probably know this voice. It belongs to Roman Mars, 99% Invisible's Roman Mars. And this was the first episode. It's a hack, a jankety, retractable, movie theater style
0: velvet rope partition that helps create the proper traffic flow. And right there, 15 feet apart from one another, a minor triumph and a minor failure
1: of design. That episode clocked in at just 4 minutes and 20 seconds. What was once a short experimental podcast is now one of the most popular shows in the history of the medium. But in many ways, it's still doing the same thing. Inspire listeners to take a closer look at the world around them. And Roman Mars is happy to be our guide. From LA Studios, this is Servant of Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. This week, Roman Mars. When Roman Mars moved out to California in the late '90s, he had no plans for fame. He just wanted a job. I applied to work at
0: Pixar and uh, oh no way and Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just looking for anything that was stable because there was no podcasting industry, there was no, and there was no work in public radio. It was pretty desperate. So I really was like ready to exchange all of it for some degree of stability.
1: And I, I don't think I know this about you, but before you became radio producer, what did you want to do?
0: I wanted to be a scientist more than anything. I, I always loved science, and I went straight into grad school to study population genetics of plants. I didn't have mm-hmm. a particular affinity for, for plants, but I loved genetics and evolutionary biology, so I thought I would be a researcher or a teacher.
1: What about evolutionary biology was spoke to you at the time?
0: I just liked understanding the world. I liked to understand where we are and mm-hmm. how we got here. It just delighted me to read and learn, and I still do. That, that type of discovery was Really, really hmm. important to me, and so I wanted to uh, be a part of it or or at least see it up close of how it was done
1: yeah I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of lines to be drawn from that to the stuff that you do with ninety nine percent visible you I mean because you're like looking at physical structures almost through that kind of lens yeah,
0: it's really not all that different it really i mean grad school really taught me a way to think and and when I first got into radio and journalism, I thought I would basically be a science reporter, but i I fell into this other stuff that I, that I loved, the, the storytelling and the, and the mixing and the putting music on stories and stuff like
1: that. And, and that ended up sort of dominating it for most of my career in the beginning. In 2010, Roman teamed up with public radio station KALW and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco to create 99% Invisible, or 99PI. The show has gone from a side project made in Roman's bedroom to a fully staffed office in the Bay Area. Paid for, in large part, by loyal listeners and wildly successful crowdfunding campaigns. In 2014, Roman founded Radiotopia, a collective of independent podcasts in partnership with the nonprofit audio platform PRX. It's been a pretty busy decade. And Roman says sometimes it feels even longer than 10 years.
0: It's one of those things, it didn't go by in the blink of an eye because there's been so many changes and iterations. And so the continuity of it, and sort of the assigning of a date of its birth is really kind of weird to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because each thing was its own moment. The first Kickstarter was its own moment, like in a way it was born then. And then like, you know, moving into the office with a bunch of teammates was a real difference. And, you know, like everything about it, it's just changed so much that it barely feels like the same thing. But I am glad I've done it as long as I have, partially because I think it was kind of it was easier to start a podcast then, you know, it was Mm -hmm. like fewer of them and easier to get people's attention. And also like it gave me some time to figure it all out while this industry was forming around it.
1: And I take it that like you you had the sort of feeling that if you were to start this today, it just would not not be the same or at the very least like you, you wouldn't be able to do it this way. No. I mean, I
0: know this a little bit because I do this other show called what Trump can teach us about con law, Mm. but it's like, TrumpCon law has a fraction of 99PI's audience, but it also takes me like three days to do as opposed to, (laughs) you know, every episode of 99PI taking, you know, like six to eight weeks and a bunch of people. And so it's like, well, would I create seven TrumpCon laws or one 99PI? It makes much more sense to make seven TrumpCon laws, which explains the state of podcasting. (laughs) 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 Because economically, 99BI doesn't really make a lot of sense these days. I mean, it does well now; it makes money now. But like, yeah, and it, and it's totally valuable. It's just like it is a much more shoot the moon plan if you were to launch it today than it was yeah. ten years ago.
1: So I I know of you that you have this uh, really strong like punk and independent sensibility. Yeah, does it feel like you kind of snuck in there as like a like a big indie like like the National or something? <laughs> like how do you how do you position the show? Or how do you understand the show? in the larger sort of context now. And then did you think that it would not end up this way?
0: I kind of had no imagination for how it would end up because it, it, this is not how I thought podcasting would necessarily go. All I know is like, I knew that we were making something that people really, really liked. And whenever you're doing that, that's meaningful, like either monetarily or just emotionally. And I knew for a long time, when I thought the show was undervalued or podcasting was undervalued or even public radio programs were undervalued by the system that if we went directly to the audience, that they would be corrected more to their proper value. Hmm. I always knew I was going to be kind of independent because I just was, you know, I I just, I just wanted to solve the problem myself. And every time I had to (laughs) ask permission, I I never got permission. And so I was just like, well, I just, just have to do this. Like, Like, I'm not someone who necessarily has this ethic that um, with the right partner or with the right boss, and it's not that I'm totally against it, or I feel like people who do sell their shows are, are doing something wrong. It's not that way at all. It's just that every time I've had that situation, like it's never worked out that well, you know? Like it just, (laughs) you know, like they, you know, there's been approaches for acquisition before it's, I never like just say like, no, are you kidding me? This is against my religion or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It just has to be with the fact that I'm always trying to solve the problem the best way I can for my show and my staff. All I really want is like for my people to have good jobs, for us to make the thing we like and whatever path that is, is the right path in my opinion.
1: How would you describe what you get out the most right now of working on the show in year 10? What is the thing that really um, draws you back to the work? Because I can barely fathom uh, a life where I'm working on the same thing for 10 years, let alone like five years even.
0: Well, so in the beginning, what really got me going was telling the, the short little stories and having fun with them and developing a tone and a way to interact with the audience, which was really fun. And then what really took over was solving the problem of making a thing when there was no industry to make a thing, you know, like there was no, (laughs) and I was really into, I was really into the business of it. And for a while I was totally fascinated by the Kickstarter campaigns and the ad sales and developing all that stuff. So to make sure that people who, I admired the people who work for me could make the thing they want to make and be secure and feel good. And I was totally in love with that as an issue. I also loved like my connection with the audience and being a host and all that sort of stuff. Now, I have to admit, the, like solving the problem of the money is like less fun for me. It's just...
1: Is it because you figured it out?
0: <laughs> it's a little bit that I've figured out part of it. And also, it's 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 that thing where like I feel like I can't do it as well as other people can do it anymore. Like I love that people have figured it out. So now I think the things that excite me the most are just like, I still love every episode. Like I put it out and I'm proud of it. I still like a really good interview where I read someone's book and they're brilliant and I have a really good time and you get into a flow with someone. Like I love that. I love really affecting the conversation on things. Like I love, it can be its own kind of pain, but like whenever there's a flag thing in the world, you know you know <laughs>
1: you're, like, you're still on, on a dead horse.
0: The proposed design consisted of a white field that's the background color with a with a city seal in gold in the center, flanked by two red roses on either side, and then the words World port of the Pacific on top, and and then the words "City of Roses" below. Oh my! I think I might have to go lie down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we've had a show, and I've created stories that have really changed the way people think about things, and and moved a conversation forward. And you know, that's sort of fun. So so that stuff is. Pretty joyful. Most of it is the good interaction with the audience that, you know, kind of keeps me going.
1: You know, I struggle with boredom a yeah. lot. Um, so I'm curious, how do you keep going back and falling in love with this project year after year? The the great thing about journalism, which I didn't quite r- realize when I
0: started that that's what I was doing, is that you get to become a little bit of an expert of a thing for a few weeks, and then you get to tell the story of it, and then you get to do something new. And so a show like mine and journalism is the perfect antidote to someone who gets bored a lot because I don't really spend a lot of time on any one subject. And for the most part, the things that I explore, you hear about as a listener, you know? And so sometimes I (laughs) ask my opinion about something and like, you know, what is your favorite building in Cincinnati? I actually have an answer for that. So that's a better example. What's what's the answer? (laughs) The the first uh, reinforced concrete Skyscraper isn't the Ingalls Building in Cincinnati. I have to, I have to, I have to actually fact check that before you put that on the air. But (laughs) I think it's the Ingalls Building. You can, you can leave, you can leave all this hemming and
1: hawing in, but, but it'll be something like that. He's right, by the way. We checked. So it's not the material that wears on Roman. Rather, what gets to him is the rhythm of producing a weekly show. It's relentless, and when that pace gets to be too much, Romans had some of his staff fill in like senior editor Delaney Hall. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Delaney Hall,
0: filling in for Roman Mars. Maybe you've heard a story like this, how once upon a time on the outskirts of the town where someone grew up
1: or where they went to school, on the edge of the woods, there was a scary old asylum. Over the last few years, so many people have told me versions of this story. That's writer Sandy Allen, they wrote a book called A Kind of Miraculous Paradise about mental health care in America.
0: And often when somebody learns that I write about mental health, they will launch into their old asylum story, how they used to break into one with their friends or how someone they knew saw a ghost there. The details vary. It was a really great moment because I was like, I, I was working on some stuff with the book and I was like, I just don't have time for this episode at all and i just want to not hear it and i don't want to be in an edit i don't want to host it i don't want anything to do with it and then i listened to it and i was like oh my god my show is really good you know like i was i really (laughs) enjoyed it it made me feel so good yeah
1: did did make you feel jealous a little bit
0: No, it didn't at all because I I know my place in the world. I know what I've done, (laughs) like, it's okay. Like, I I still have those feelings of fraud like everyone does. But like, it made me realize, I was like, oh, I would be a fan of my show. And that was what I was trying to do when I made it. I was trying to make the show I wanted. And you lose a little bit of perspective on that when you're in it because you, you just don't have as much fun with it. That moment was fantastic.
1: Has the popularity of 99PI totally killed Roman's indie cred? More in a minute. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round.
0: Humans have been living in cities for a really long time. But like a lot of things about the past, getting around cities used to be just needlessly difficult because we didn't have reliable maps or street signs or
1: even addresses.
0: An address is something we all take for granted.
1: This may be a weird question, but how much of the show is actually you? Um, And how much is being left off the mic?
0: How much of the show is me? What do you mean?
1: Yeah, okay, so here's my relationship with the show. I understand you to be a very obsessive, interested, curious, nerdy, kind of chill person, patient, mm-hmm. because, you know, nature of your dulcet tone, you know, kinda of comforting, yeah, sure, sleepy sure. voice, all that shit. Yeah, like, but once in a while, I just get this flash where I kind of like, I think you might be a really, like, Sassy, sarcastic person, and I, just, I don't hear that. <laughs> and so, I guess oh, my question okay, is so like, like, how, how much of, do you leave off the off the mic?
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay, so how much of Roman Mars is a character, like, is yeah, is, yeah, is
1: yeah, it, that, that question, yeah,
0: yeah. So, it, definitely a character. So, like, all the things that are represented as the host of the show of ninety nine percent invisible are aspects of my character. It's sort of a heightened, aspirational version of me, and. It is definitely a more generous, empathetic version of me. Like, and the thing is, though, it's not just something I'm putting on for the show. Like, I can put this on when I'm out in the world, and I'm a better person. Like I'm, like, I'm a kinder person. I definitely am a person who, like, you know, do I read every plaque as a person? No, probably not. Like, I try, you know, but like, I get in a hurry, and I get, and and I have strong opinions, you know, like about things, and I'm, I'm much more, like I definitely react to the world and and believe in things and that can be shocking to some people but i do think that a listener of the show has a good idea of who i am as a person but there's different aspects that are heightened at different moments for sure
1: yeah what would you say is like one aspect of you that most of your listeners would be surprised to know about
0: um i mean i think
1: the sort of like aggressive
0: punk rock sort of ness of it all would be is surprising to people maybe you know like to me it's like I make sense as a person because I'm the person that it's centering upon. You know? so, <laughs> so, so, like, so to me, these are, there are no contradictions in these things, but I can imagine people having an image of yeah. like Tweed Coat, you know, like, you know, kind of um, listens to classical music, a kind of Niles Crane sort of you know, type of person. <laughs> yeah. And I get that. But to me, it's totally like the thoughtfulness is, is the thoughtfulness of a person who grew up in sort of, indie punk culture and the yeah. loving of the world and holding the world to a high standard is part of that too. Like I was never part of the sort of nihilistic punk culture. I was much more in the American hardcore. Like the reason why I'm angry is because I love the world so much, not because I think it should all burn, you know, you identified as straight edge, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I'm still, I still don't drink or do drugs or anything. Um, You know, like that stayed with me. Um, And that was a little bit, it was same to do with the sort of like sense of control over my place and my environment. And the fact that I just would had encountered a lot of, you know, alcohol and drugs kind of early in my life. And it was not for me. It was very bad for me. And it was bad for a lot of people in my family. And so rather than abstaining, I discovered straight edge and realized that I could be a part of something rather than be abstaining from something. And mm. it gave me a lot of like purpose, for lack of a better word, you know. So like, yeah. So a lot of those things are a huge part of who I am and they're reflected in the show. Like I think only recently did I do, I allowed an announcer read for alcohol on the show just because of like COVID and I have to, you know, yeah. have to balance the books, you know? And so I, yeah. had to, <laughs> I had to let that go. But there was like for 10 years, I didn't do any alcohol of any kind because I just, not because I felt that anyone should live the way I do or I was really against it. I, I know and love people who enjoy alcohol quite a bit but it was like, it didn't feel like it was genuinely from me and that felt like against my ethic more than anything. But when it's like, you know, other people, you're like, well, maybe I need to like consider this. And so that's what ends up happening over time is that you get all these responsibilities and you have to like think through them and you know, really get to the, the root of it. And as you get older and you have more people depending on you, that becomes the ethic that
1: matters the most. And I think that's what changes. The next frontier for Roman and 99PI? A book. It's called The 99% Invisible City, and it was co-written by Roman and the show's digital director, Kurt Colstead. I love making a podcast, that's
0: the thing. But there was a certain point where you have all this information and all this sort of worldview of like how 99PI approaches the world, and realize that like if you... Oh, I remember they did a show about revolving doors at one point And like, <laughs> is it episode 112 or like you do a search on it? And, you only, and it's really just like, it doesn't serve the information anymore to be locked up in this linear audio format over 10 years. I mean, it was just really like the, the reason why is because there was a reason for it to exist. And before this point the, the show did the job and, and now it was failing to do the job when you wanted to like really like access and enjoy the information and, uh, and the stories. And so um, So the book just made a ton of sense, you know? And it was also just like there's a certain point where you're like, you know, as, as big as podcasting is, there's still like a huge percentage of the world you're not reaching. I just really wanted to like have 99PI as a concept reach more people. And also, it was just like Kurt, who uh, worked on the book, was so hard on the book we just felt we could do it. You know, like he drove it forward. He was like the project manager and co-author. Like it really was just one of those things that it's just like when you have a, a small team, an independent team, when you have a person who's like raising their hand and saying like, we can do this, you just go, okay, and now it's time, you know.
1: After doing the show for so many years, um, any regrets? Any Anything that you would have done differently maybe? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't live
0: i don't really to get obsessed with my regrets, I mean I do know that like there's definitely things that I would and i don't I would change it's just like when something grows sort of organically with just like the money you have, you move forward, you don't have a a strategic plan in mind you know like <laughs> and so yeah, you know especially as all this stuff is falling apart and there's no office, for example it's like, well, yeah. why did everyone have to be out here why didn't I just build? the team from all over all the time because clearly you can do it, you know? And so it was kind of like there, there was that. And then you, you know, you hit things where he was like, well, there's like a huge diversity problem within Radiotopia. And it's like, we, because we're looking for people who can do everything and own everything, we're yeah. building on the biases of the whole industry that came before it. And it's really hard to fight it. It's not
1: an excuse to not keep fighting it. What Roman is talking about here is something we've been seeing in the media industry a reckoning for more diversity, equity, and inclusion in predominantly white spaces. In the podcast world, one of the places that's recently been called out has been PRX, which helped Roman build the independent podcast network Radiotopia.
0: That's the thing, I don't really, I never worked for PRX, but, you know, I had some influence to try to, or, or make Radiotopia to be what it is. Yeah. But you do just, like, wonder, like, God, if I just could, like, freaking hire people you know like if yeah. i had this way I, it would be totally different create shows like how people create shows and right now like the structure really doesn't serve the moment sometimes like it serves people like me and so so those are the things i have regrets about it's like f- is not anticipated but it was really hard to anticipate that stuff 10 years ago yeah. for sure but that's the type of thing that i think about today
1: so i would be remiss uh, not to ask you about what went down at prx Um, Just a little background for everyone. Uh, Not long ago, uh, an employee at PRX, uh, a black woman, uh, made the decision to leave her job during the pandemic because she felt like there was no future for her at the company uh, due to systemic racism. Uh, She wrote a really impassioned open letter to the organization, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that situation. I read that. I was sort of shocked by
0: it. I was surprised it wasn't handled well in the moment. I do think that when you have a history with somebody, when somebody says, they're sorry and they're going to work on it. You either hear that and you think, well, I believe them. Or you hear that and say, this is just like everybody else. And I don't believe them. And I must submit that I land on the side of believing people working hard on things than not. Hmm. And so in this case, you know, like I've, you know, just been like, keep me apprised guys. Cause it's just like, it reflects on me. It
1: reflects on the show. We felt the need to talk about it a little bit as a show. On the 99PI website, Roman put out a statement in support of the employee who left PRX. In his statement, Roman described how he and his staff have been discussing the inequities in their own show, and how they're hoping to improve it through initiatives like rethinking staff structure, increasing the diversity of voices in their stories, and better pay for freelancers.
0: The whole point, I mean, this makes you question the idea of what what does independence mean? Okay, so the show is independent, it does its own thing, but like what other people do affects it. And so like how independent is it really, (laughs) you know, like what does that mean? And I, you know, I don't know. And that's all this stuff is sort of swimming through my head right now. And I don't have a good answer for you. You know, it's Mm. just to me, the part about independence that matters is if I see that anybody who I work with is not behaving in a way I'm proud of, then me working with them is always on the table, you know? Mm. Yeah. But I also, you know, I have a long history with PRX existing in this world where they were really trying to fight for making public radio more accessible and better and and so i I come to them with a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than I think maybe other people do you
1: know hmm. do you to what extent do you think about like your legacy, and do you see ninety nine percent visible at this point as a sort of like sum of your life's work? I think about my legacy. I don't really think about my legacy all that much. Um, so, so like, you know, 50 years from now, like what people think about road Mars, like you don't have an opinion of how people want to think about road Mars. Well, I have an opinion
0: or? that I want them to think well of me, you know,
1: like that I was like a fair person <laughs> and a kind person
0: um, and that the show was good. So yeah, I think there's that. I think over the time, you know, like five years ago, I think the show really defined me and now I feel like I could do something else, you know, and it would be okay. Hmm. <laughs> or like not work for once. <laughs> that would be okay. <laughs> like it, it's not, it's not as important in the broad sense of my life, even though I do truly s- still love it. It's just, yeah. you know, my best days are the days where we have an edit and there's a a new story. I haven't heard any part of it yet. We're, we're doing the read to tape and It's just like, oh, this is so good. And that puts me in a good mood. And I just want as many days like that as possible. That's what I want the most.
1: Roman, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Servant of Pod is written and hosted by me, Nick Kwa. You can check out more episodes at aliascom slash Servant of Pod. The show is produced by Andrea Aswahe, Jessica Alpert, and John Parati at Rococo Punch. Web design by Andy Cheatwood, and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at LA Studios, including Christian Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. Servant of Pod is a production of Elias Studios.
0: Okay, favorite Discord band? Jawbox and Shutter to Think. I loved that sort of the (laughs) the third generation of... um, That's when I came in. So, like, Jawbox, Shutter to Think, Circus Lupus, the early 90s. I needed to find something besides Fugazi because everyone kind of owned Fugazi. (laughs) But, like, if, if you were to say... You know, like, when you're asking about my legacy, if somebody says you know 99pi or roman mars is like the Fugazi of the discord of podcasting i would be like that's a fine legacy i'm totally good with that you know like
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no fuck it. Let's, let's put it in the show notes this all goes in nick all right no yeah we'll, we'll put it right after the credits be dope it all
0: goes in you have to put it in